Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Welcome to another Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Walter Storholt with you here, and uh, David Dickens will be joining us in a moment, in a way. Uh, today is a best of edition of the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. We are going to be covering as we end 2021 and ring in 2022. As we end the year here, we're going to look back over the course of this year and pick out our top five favorite email or listener questions that we received this past year. So you may have missed these at some point in time during the year, so this will be a great chance to rehash some of the top questions of the year that we received and David's responses and answers to them. And then we'll turn the page with all new episodes coming up in 2022. We're going to be talking about New Year's resolutions and so much more. So make sure you come back to the podcast in the new year. But as we wrap up our final episode of 2021, sit back and enjoy some really good questions from listeners across the area and the listening universe, and uh, hopefully you'll learn some good stuff uh, from these questions as well. Terry says, thanks for the podcast on estate planning basics. We just listened and have a question. To avoid probate when we die, we added our son as a joint owner of our home. But my brother-in-law says that can cause problems, and your podcast led me to believe he might be right. What are your thoughts? Okay, so Terry, I'm, I went back and looked over my notes from that podcast, and, and I've mentioned it, but, but not in any particular detail. And there, there's a really good case out of Nebraska, which always comes to mind when I have this discussion with people in my office. So here's how that sets up. What you did by adding your son as, a, as an owner of your home was pretty easy, but it's not a good idea. And here's why. Let's say that your son is a super responsible citizen, pays his taxes, is a quality individual, but he's out late one night, falls asleep behind the wheel, hits three pedestrians, and unfortunately, two of them die. So your son is in a pretty bad predicament. He obviously gets sued by the two families of the people who died, and he loses. And he has way too little in liability insurance. So the attorneys for the other side look around for all the assets that your son has. And one of the assets he has is your house. Since he's listed as an owner, they're able to attach their claim on him. They're able to attach that to your house. So that immediately becomes obvious to every listener. That's not a good thing. So that's why you wouldn't want to have him listed as an owner. It's a really unlikely situation, but it happens. You just don't want it to happen to you. So what you want to do, your idea is a good thing, but what you want to do instead of naming him as a joiner is name him as a beneficiary. And in most states, that's called a um, transfer on death deed, a, a TOD deed. And that's pretty easy to do. You, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you can go to the county courthouse right here in Johnson County, and they will give you the forms necessary to get that done. And about the trickiest thing is to make sure that you have the exact legal description of your piece of property. And if you've ever seen one of those, they're about as long as your leg, but you'll find on, on a mortgage, old mortgage documentation or something, that exact legal description. And then you just need to make sure that that's on file with the county. 
So that's what you would do. Instead of naming him as a joint owner, you'd name him as the beneficiary. I'm assuming from your question, but we don't know, that you just have one son, one child. Uh, if you've got six kids, well, you put all six of them on there if that's what your wish is uh, at death. So that's the way that you would actually want to do this such that nothing uh, gets crosswise if worst case something happens and that your son causes that causes him a significant financial difficulty somebody comes after his houses his his property and your house happens to be listed under his property so it's fairly easy as a do-it-yourselfer you can easily pay your estate planning attorney probably three or four or five hundred bucks to do it for you and that way you're, you're confident it's done exactly right but either way uh, Terry, that's what you'd want to do for your house, for your cars, and that's super simple to do at the DMV as opposed to putting your son as a co-owner of your car. And then, of course, on your bank accounts, uh, a transfer on death designation on all of your banking products. Um, so, and, and if you happen to have any annuities, uh, you would do non-IRA annuities. You do that on, the, on them as well. So pretty easy to take care of those things. You just got to make sure you do them in the right way so that the unintended consequences uh, come off the table. Let's go over to Kate, who's got another question for you, David. Kate says, I have a catch-22. I have some Apple stock that I really want to sell because I've made a lot of money over the years, but I'm worried about the tax bill I might create when I sell. So what's more important, capturing gains or keeping my taxes low? Oh, Kate, that's a really good one. You know, um, so without knowing whether you're independently wealthy or whether you are 26 and you've had this stock for 18 months and you're early in your career, it's kind of hard to, to give an answer. But here's a couple of things you want to consider. If you happen to find yourself in a tax bracket that is either 10% or 12%, in other words, as a single, you make 40 grand taxable income or less, or as married filing joint, 80 grand or less, then your long-term capital gain rate on that Apple stock will be zero. You'll pay zero tax if you're in the 10 or 12% bracket. So then you don't have a tax problem. You just sell the stock. You're allowed to rebuy it right away. There's no 30-day wash sale rule on a gain. That only accounts, that only happens on a loss. So you could sell it, pay no tax if you're in a 10 or 12% bracket and rebuy it and your cost basis would go up to where it is today. Maybe you're concerned that Apple has run too far. And you also, you're also thinking, hey, I got a tax problem, but do I really want to have that much of my net worth all wrapped up in Apple? If you can sell it at that long-term capital gain rate, or even, Kate, if your income is taxable income is less than $445,000 as a single, or $501,000 as married filing joint, you're only going to pay 15% long-term capital gain rate on that Apple stock. And then what you might do is sell it, pay that modest amount of tax, and then redeploy the cash. Maybe you put a little bit of it in Apple, but the rest of it you diversify into other investments. So, you know, our tax is going to be higher or lower in the future. President Biden is talking about some stuff, but unless you make, you know, certainly over a million dollars a year, your taxes would be going up. Uh, if you make more than 400000 he's kind of talking about raising your rates. But there's a lot of senators that aren't going to agree to that. So it's very questionable whether tax rates are going up uh, over the next year or so. 
So I think just encourage you to look at how you feel about Apple stock and whether or not this qualifies for a long-term capital gain rate, which it says it is. And then if somewhere between zero and 15% tax rate sounds pretty good to you, which it very well might, uh, then I'd encourage you to uh, look at selling it and uh, paying that little bit of tax right now, and then probably diversifying your holdings, uh, even though Apple has been and probably will continue to be a pretty terrific stock in the future. Paying tax is not really a bad thing when you made money. It's just a cost of doing business thing kind exactly. of uh, in a way, right, David? Like it's nothing to be sad about because it's kind of a good thing to have to pay tax because right. it means you don't money pay money. tax on losses. So yeah. good for good for you, Kate, that you've got that uh, and that you've been able to hold it for more than a year so that it would qualify for long-term capital gains. Christopher says, I'll be turning 70 at the beginning of next year, and I'm annoyed that I'll have to start taking money out of my IRA because I won't even need it. I'm sure you have some tips for circumventing this rule. What are they? <laughs> well, Christopher, I got some bad news for you. But first of all, let me, let me clarify this piece. It used to be 70 and a half when your required distribution started, so the year you turned 70 and a half. But something called the SECURE Act that Congress passed back in late 2019, so it started in 2020. Now your required distributions don't start until the year you turn 72. So that's an important uh, differentiator. You get an extra year and a half to let those uh, deferred gains rise. So just a quickie little background, Christopher, why do you even have required distributions? Well, the IRS has been waiting to tax this money ever since you put it in, in a 401k or an IRA, and they're just done waiting once you turn 72. And they're going to tax every penny that comes out of this IRA. So principal that you put in and all the growth. So another question you might be wondering is, how much am I going to have to take out? Well, as a 72-year-old, you're going to have to take out 3.91% of the balance that it was on December 31st before the year you turned 72. So for instance, Christopher, if you have a half a million dollar IRA, that's going to be $19,550 you have to take out in the year you turn 72, and it's going to be taxed just like a paycheck at your highest marginal tax bracket. If you got a million dollar IRA, well, that's $39,100 bucks. Million and a half dollar IRA, that's about $58,650. So it's not inconsequential, especially for you, Christopher, because you said you don't need the money. It is kind of a big deal. It just depends on how much other income you have. So for somebody that has a couple of social security checks coming into their house, them and their spouse, they've got a pension um, totaling maybe 85 grand. Well, they're in the 12% bracket. Once they're required distribution start, and let's say they've got a million dollar IRA, that pushes them from the 12% bracket up to the 22% bracket. So it is kind of a big deal, and your, and your question, Christopher, is a really good one. So your question was, how do I get out of these? And the answer is, you are pretty well trapped. You cannot get out of this, but I've got three ideas for you as to what you might be able to do to lessen the pain. One is, you're 70, you have another two years. You could do some small Roth conversions over the next two years. There are some things you want to avoid, like a Medicare surcharge, depending on how much Roth conversions you do. But you have a couple of years to do some, some modest Roth conversions. Christopher, it doesn't sound like you're still working, but if you happen to be still working, there are a lot of 401k plans that will allow you to, to kind of do a reverse rollover. 
you can roll over old plans into your current plan where you work. And most times when you're 72 and still working, you do not have to take a required distribution out of your company plan. So if you can do a reverse rollover while you're still working, you might be able to defer those required distributions a little while longer. The third one, and it's used broadly by my client base, is called a qualified charitable distribution. So if you are in the habit of giving money to your church or to the university you graduated from or any other qualified institution where you get a tax deduction for that, you can gift that money from an IRA directly to that institution. If it comes to your house in your name, well, that's taxable. But if you give it directly to the institution, that is not a taxable withdrawal from your IRA. You can do that up to a maximum of a hundred grand a year, and that's a hundred grand for you. And if you have a spouse, hundred grand for your spouse, you can give away a lot of money and not have it be taxable income to you. The only requirements are that you have to be, in this case, over 70 and a half. So even if you don't have a required distribution, Christopher, you could do that this year if you wanted, if you're over 70 and a half. And uh, it has to come out of an IRA and you can't go over hundred grand. That's honestly the best idea I've got for you based on what I think I know of your situation as to how you might avoid being taxed on money coming out of your IRA, that qualified charitable distribution. Man, lots of great information packed into that answer, David. Thank you for breaking that down so well for us. And Christopher, I really hope that helps you out. Uh, Greg has another one for you here, David, switching gears a little bit. Greg is being offered an early retirement package from his company that includes a severance package and a pension buyout. Greg wants to know, is it wise to consider it? So, Greg, I would say yes. It's always important to consider something like that, whether you take it or not can be a a financial or a lifestyle uh, decision or both. So I have clients that have taken those packages, a couple of them who love their new life. Uh, One of them just retired. Another one decided to take another job. And then I have others who, looking back, they really, really liked what they did and kind of sort of wished maybe they hadn't taken that early package. But let me, um, there, are, there are a couple different pieces to your, to your question. One is a severance package and one is a pension. So my question on the severance is, will the, will the severance mean that you can actually retire? Or is it just enough to bridge you to your next job? You didn't really say how old you were. Maybe you're 64 and it's just going to get you right to where Social Security and your, your, savings, your retirement savings will, will take off. But if you're 58... Maybe it's going to be a one-year, let's say it's a one-year severance. Maybe it's a one-year bridge to your next job. And then regarding the pension, Greg, it's kind of an, uh, so uh, whether you do a lump sum rollover or whether you wait, usually those, you have to wait till 65 to start your pension payment. So really it's a question of, do I want the asset? If you roll a, a pension, a lump sum pension out, you typically roll that into your IRA. And so then it becomes an asset of your family, whereas if you just take the pension payments, it becomes a cash flow thing. And those have different benefits depending on how well you've saved for your own retirement. But if you saved really well for your own retirement, then a lot of times the pension lump sum rollover works out better to have that as an asset for your family. 
Uh, inflation is another is another consideration on that. Um, the pension that you're being offered probably does not have a cost of living increase associated with it. Very few do these days. So at three and a half percent inflation, let's say that you spend five grand a month in retirement. Well, at three and a half percent inflation, 20 years from now, that $5,000 worth of stuff every month is going to cost you 10,000 bucks. But your pension that you're getting every month won't have gone up any. So you just want to make sure that in your retirement plan, if you're going to take the pension monthly payment, that you're good with the fact that inflation is going to eat into that over time. And then you're going to have a decision of whether you're, uh, let's, let's, so I know Greg's male, so let's say his spouse is a female, and whether, if he dies early, whether it's going to go 100% to her, in other words, the money just keeps on coming, or they might choose to have her get 50% of the money, so, which means that while he's living, they're going to get more monthly income. And I've had clients who have taken that, some of that extra income and bought a life insurance policy to say, we're going to have more money every month. And if, if Greg happens to die early, she's going to get a lump sum tax-free payout from a life insurance policy. So Greg, there, there are a number of different things that you'd want to look at there. It's probably somewhat time sensitive. Hopefully you've already got a plan in place and then you'll know how this severance package fits into the plan you already have. If you don't have a plan, that's the place to start. You can put that together reasonably quickly and then figure out how the early retirement package fits into your plan. Lots to consider there. And uh, wow, I didn't think we'd have that much to unpack from Greg's question, but you took us there, David, and you're really good at peeling back all the little layers to see where we need to explore and investigate. So. Greg, is it wise for you to consider it? Yeah, absolutely. Consider it. But uh, do a little further digging and conversation with David to find out if you should do it. But uh, definitely wise to consider such things. Absolutely. Mary says, I've been maxing out contributions toward an HSA for the past few years and feel ready to invest these funds. Since I am still over 20 years from retirement age, should I use the auto investment advisor tool to get my HSA funds in the market, or should I reach out to a financial advisor to help me decide? So Mary, uh, congrats for using the HSA. Uh, Just as a quick little description for people who are listening who don't know what that is, that's a health savings account. It is the best thing going from the U.S. government for what what it allows you to do is contribute money. Uh, In this case, uh, Mary is under 55, so but just based on the information she gave me. So she can put 3600 bucks a year into this account. She gets a tax deduction for putting the money in. It grows tax-free. And when she takes the money out to pay for health care expenses, you know, eye surgery or, you know, whatever you are spending health care dollars on, that money comes out tax-free. So it's even better than a Roth account. It is It is the best thing going from a tax standpoint in America. So congrats for having one. And you said you've been doing it for a few years, and so that's a good thing too. Let's say you might have, I don't know, $15,000, $20,000, $25,000 built up in that uh, because the the way you can get money out is using it on health care, and perhaps you're a super healthy 45-year-old and you've never had to use it. So the auto investor tool, that's likely going to be a robo-advisor, if that means anything to our listeners. But it's very likely going to fit you into a target date 
fund, just like we talked about in Jane's question. So depending on Mary's age and maybe a few other demographic questions that the uh, auto investment advisor tool is going to ask, it's going to put her into, it's going to suggest to her probably a target date retirement fund allocation. And that might be, you know, 75% stock and 25% bond or depending on other questions it might ask you, it could be less or, or more. So if you were at 40, at 45, the, the last question is, should I reach out to a financial advisor to help me decide? Honestly, for what I tell all of my young friends, my, my nephews, my any acquaintance that I have, sons and daughters of friends of mine, I tell them pretty much, and again, this is not specific investment advice for you, Mary, or for anyone else listening here, but generically speaking, if you're young and you have a reasonable risk tolerance, I would go more heavily into stock, and that's where a target date maturity fund is going to put you, because you've got a long time before you're going to use most of these funds. And when the market goes down, unless you're going to react emotionally very badly, you just are going to let that money ride out the turmoil. So I would probably not, unless you have a financial advisor for, some of, for another part of your life, uh, I probably wouldn't reach out to one specifically for that. If you, were, if you said you were 55 or 58 or 60, I would absolutely tell you to go find a financial advisor that you trust that can help you as you're, since you're a lot closer to retirement. But in your early 40s, I'd probably just use that auto advisor tool and invest as it says and keep pounding away on that uh, HSA every year. Hopefully you won't need it for health uh, related issues over the next 20 years. And who knows, by the time you get to retirement age, that could be a really large tax-free pot of money that you can use for um, your health care needs during your retirement. So it's a great, great program. If you don't have an HSA, you, in order to have an HSA, you have to have a high deductible health care plan. So I, I don't know the percentage of Americans that have one of those. Uh, but if you have one, you absolutely need to establish an HSA and contribute to it. If you happen to be over 55, age 55, then instead of 3600 bucks a year, you can put in 4600 bucks a year. And if you're married, so can your spouse. So these accounts can get to be fairly large, always tax-free. They're really a terrific deal. And that'll wrap up our mailbag edition, special mailbag edition, our top five listener questions from the past year uh, here in 2021. Walter Storholt with you alongside David Dickens. He is, as a reminder, the president and wealth advisor at KC Financial Advisors, serving you in Kansas City with an office in Overland Park. If you have any questions like this and you want to talk about them one-on-one with David and the team, you can go through your own complete planning review process. Uh, David calls it the CPR process for your finances. Give a call and you can set that time to meet at 913-317-1414. 913-317-1414 or go online to coveryourassetskc.com and get in touch with us through the website coveryourassetskc.com thank you so much for listening hope everybody has a happy new year and we will talk to you with new episodes in 2022 thanks for joining us on the cover your assets kc podcast Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.